0: Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. As Christians, we all desire for Jesus to say to us, quote, "Well done, good and faithful servant." But have you ever thought about what you would like to say to Jesus when you stand before him? In John chapter 17, Jesus declared to the Father, quote, "I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do." Wouldn't you like to say to Jesus that you brought Him glory on earth by completing the work He gave you to do? Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 17 and look at this incredible prayer that Jesus prayed to God our Father at the end of His earthly life. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. It's a Sunday afternoon here in Texas and uh, hopefully you all just loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus. We say it over and over and over, Ed. There is nothing in our lives that'll be more beneficial to us. There's nothing in our lives that is more beneficial or edifying than spending time with Jesus, spending time in the scriptures, reading and studying and meditating on the scriptures, obeying the scriptures, repenting when we fall short, spending time in prayer, spending time in fellowship with other believers, spending time in praise and worship and and repentance. It's just, uh, it's the meaning of life. So thank you, Lord Jesus. So today we're going to be starting John 17. Hopefully we'll get through verse uh, 12 or 13. It's a, it's a powerful chapter. The whole chapter is a, is Jesus praying. It's the longest prayer of Jesus in the scriptures, and he's praying to our heavenly father. And uh, uh, the insights to be gleaned from this are incredible. So, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, and your goodness on our lives. Father, we thank you for your grace. Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us, for living a perfect life for us, for dying a torturous death for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear in Jesus name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Um, Just right before I was recording, I, I got an opportunity to To spend some time with my brother ed and i mean i love my brother ed if y'all don't know ed you need to get to know ed um he's just a uh he's been a close friend of mine and a brother in christ for golly i've known him now for uh golly he's coming up on 27 years and um and then he's he gave his life to jesus christ um around late 2001 and uh he's just a christian brother of mine and i'm just uh I'm just blessed to know him. So him and I were hanging out here uh, the last couple of hours and uh, we were just talking about Jesus and, you know, just inviting Jesus into his life and circumstances. He got some things going on, but uh, he's feeling good now. So thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. John 17. I'm going to start in verse one. I'm going to read to like 13. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of, of my joy within them. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just just incredible scriptures. Now, this is Jesus praying on earth. He's maybe an hour or two from being arrested, from being tortured, um, and from ultimately being crucified, you know, crucified and dying for the sin of the world. And yet he's praying for the disciples, I've said this over and over, that this is just an incredible example to us all of just, you know, when we're going through a tough time, right, Ed, Um, and times are hard and times are difficult, Jesus is about to take on the sin of the world. He knows he's gonna be tortured and crucified. If it was you and me, Ed, we wouldn't wanna be doing this, right? We just kinda wanna be left alone but Jesus is praying for his disciples an hour or two before he's about to be tortured. He's going to have a crown of thorns pushed into his skull. He's going to become sin. He's going to experience a fracture of his relationship with the Heavenly Father. And yet he's thinking about his disciples and the fact that, that they're not going to have him with him with them physically. He has been with them for three and a half years now as their teacher. He's protected them. He's looked out for them. Now he's going to be taken from them. And so he's praying to his heavenly father that they would be protected. The fact that his mind is not on himself and his own problems and his own difficulties, right, Corinne, is is truly remarkable, right? It is so hard when we're going through trials and difficulties and hardships, to just not think about ourselves and our own life and our own difficulties. And here he is, Ed, thinking about everybody else when he's about to be tortured in an unspeakable manner. And again, this is, uh, I just confess, this is not how I am. When I'm struggling, when I'm going through trials or difficulties, I'm my mind is on me and what I'm struggling with and how my life is hurting. And yet Jesus's heart and mind is on what's it going to be like for my disciples when I'm taken from them. And he's praying for them and committing them in, into the hands of God the Father. And it's just an incredible picture of, uh, of selfless, Christ-like, Christ-centered love that we all need to, uh, to, to try to exemplify. Right. So verse 1 after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. So he's looking up to heaven. C.S. Lewis said that we are animals. What our souls, you know, what our bodies do, you know, affect our souls. So it's good to get down on your knees and pray. It's good to look to heaven. So it says, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. Father the time has come glorify your son that the son may glorify you it's a profound statement when jesus says glorify your son he's saying that you know when jesus goes to the cross you would think that the cross is just a is such a time of just tremendous pain and suffering it's incomprehensible the pain and suffering. And Jesus is just a couple hours from being arrested, maybe an hour from being arrested and persecuted and tortured. And yet he says, Father, the time has come. So he knows the time is here. And he says to glorify your son. He's saying to glorify, you know, glorify me, Father, in, you know, my my death and in my resurrection. But look at the reason he gives that your son may glorify you. One of the, uh, you know, we've talked about this before, right, May But one of the, the tremendous difficulties we have as ministers and leaders and preachers and elders and just in Christian leadership is we always want glory for ourselves. If we're to be candid, if we're to be just frank and honest um, with ourselves and others, we like it when people like us. We like it when people are saying, amen to our teachings, right, Ed? We like it when glory comes to us and it's wrong. And I'm sorry, Lord, I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me. Our job as ministers and leaders in the body of Christ is to glorify Jesus. Look at the example he says here. Father, the time has come, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. In the body of Christ, as ministers, as preachers, as pastors, right, Leah? We're like, Father, glorify your son, that your son may glorify me. Because we like the glory. We like the amens. We like everybody saying, oh, that sermon was so good. And our job is to point people away from ourselves and point them to Jesus. And uh, it's an obvious area that needs massive improvement for basically everyone that's a leader in the body of Christ. There is no legitimate leader in the body of Christ that shouldn't or wouldn't say that we need help. And we're asking the Holy Spirit to help us to turn the glory away from us, the attention away from us, and and to put it on Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we do ask you to help us with that. Holy Spirit, we ask you to cleanse us and forgive us of this unrighteousness of self glorification and, uh, and help us to glorify Jesus. Verse 2 For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. <clears throat> Look at the profundity of this statement. Look at how profound this statement is. For you granted him authority over all people. So number one, Jesus just said, I'm the boss over everybody. And that command came from God the Father. For you granted him authority over all people. All people means all 8 billion people in the world. That means there is no other religion. There is nothing but biblical Christianity. Because Jesus said he has authority over all people. And that came from God the Father. So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, then you're out of place. I've said this before. I say it all the time. I know that sounds intolerant. I know it sounds harsh. But they're the words of Jesus. We have to deal with the words on the page of our Bible. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. So you heard Jesus say out of his own mouth, excuse me, that it's him, Jesus, that gives eternal life. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, if you have not received Jesus Christ into your heart for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, then then you, you have no relationship with God and you're headed to hell. Again, I know that sounds harsh, but that's what the Bible teaches. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. It's Jesus and Jesus alone that gives eternal life. It's only in Jesus that we can have our sins forgiven and ultimately go to heaven when we die. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? John 1.12 says that to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? What does that mean? To receive Jesus Christ means, first of all, to understand your need of Jesus. Romans 3.23 says that all people are sinful and fall short of God's holy standard. It simply means to acknowledge, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinful person. I am hopeless, I'm helpless, I'm desperate. But Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. And I believe that you came and lived a perfect life for me and died a torturous death for me. And I believe you are alive and risen today. And therefore, I ask you now, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart, to be the Lord of my life, to save me from my sin, to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and hope and confidence and trust in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's how you become a Christian. It's not those words that save you. We we don't just puppet words and believe that we're saved. We use the words to communicate to Jesus our heart. Have you given your life to Jesus understanding your desperate need of him, understanding that without him, Only hell awaits separated from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Give your life to Jesus today. Again, if you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, rewind the tape. Use the words I use, but it's the the genuineness. It's the sincerity of your heart that matters. Verse 3. And now these verses three and four are just are incredible. <clears throat> Verse three, now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. If Jesus is not God, this is a statement of a madman. How could you put your name equal to God the Father when it's, when it's talking about going to heaven and experiencing eternal life? Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You cannot know God without Jesus Christ. So to be clear, if you're you know, a Buddhist today, Buddha can't lead you to know God. If you're a Muslim today, Muhammad cannot lead you to know God. If you're a a new age person today, that cannot lead you to know God. It's only Jesus Christ. If you don't have Jesus, you can know nothing of God whatsoever. These are his words. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you know God the Father? Do you have an intimate relationship with God the Father? Do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you talk to Jesus? Are you in fellowship with Jesus? Do you have a a personal intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and God, the Father and the Holy Spirit? In this verse, we can see the the cooperation of the Father and the Son in redemption. You know, we said this at Bible study, right, Ed? All of us think about what we're going to say, you know, what we want Jesus to say to us when we stand before him. All of us want Jesus to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we would like Jesus to say to us. Well done, good and faithful servant. But look at verse four. I have brought you glory on earth, Jesus praying to the Father. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus said to his father, to God the Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. You know, I'd never understood this verse and it was like, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago and a, uh, just a, an older brother in Christ, uh, his name is Gerald, just opened this verse to my mind that, you know, this is what I would like to say and is this not what you would like to say? To, uh, to Jesus when you stand before him? Wouldn't you like to say to Jesus what Jesus said to, to our heavenly father? Wouldn't you like to say, I have brought you glory on earth, Jesus, by completing the work you gave me to do? Is there anything better you could say to Jesus? That I have brought you glory on earth, Jesus, by completing the work you gave me to do. Do you have a heart to complete the work that Jesus has given you to do? I I don't know the percentages, but I'll say maybe one in, I don't even know what the words are. I don't even know what the numbers are. Maybe maybe one in 10,000, maybe one in 100,000 Christians can ever say to Jesus, Lord Jesus, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Ask Jesus to reveal this to you. Ask him to help you. Ask him to show you what he's given you to do, that you might bring him glory on earth. The way he brought God, our father, glory on earth. Help us, Lord Jesus. Verse five. And now, father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus here is clearly declaring himself as God. As a deity, he's saying that he existed before his human life. Look at the words. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence. Take me back into your presence, Father, with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus is clearly saying that Him and the Father existed and were one before the world was even created. We have a triune God, God the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all God. They all existed before the world was created, the universe was created. They were never created. They're eternal. And Jesus now, at the end of his life, before he's being crucified, prays to the Father that he would be restored to the glory and oneness that he had in heaven before he became a man and before the world was even created. Incredible. Verse six, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. So Jesus says, he's speaking about his disciples and he says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. So again, listen to Jesus speaking about his relationship with God, the father. They were yours, the disciples he's speaking about, the 11 disciples before him that he's praying for. They were yours, and he's also praying by extension for all of us as genuine and true disciples of Jesus Christ, right, Tommy? They were yours, you gave them to me. You gave them to me. Like, no person in history has ever said those words. Right, Uncle Dennis? Who would ever say that? They were yours these disciples were yours, you gave them to me. He's talking to God, the Father, and he said, you gave them to me. Hopefully, none of y'all have ever said those words. Hopefully, y'all have never said, Jesus, they're yours, but you gave them to me. It doesn't work. It doesn't fit. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. What he means by obeyed your word is that they genuinely believed that he was from the Father, that he was the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Messiah. Verse seven, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. So he's saying that the disciples finally understand. Again, he's been with them three and a half years. He's ministered to them three and a half years. He's discipled them three and a half years. And he says, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. The disciples are at a point where they truly believe That Jesus has come from God the Father, and God the Father has entrusted everything to Jesus Christ. Have you come to that place? Do you know that Jesus Christ is God? That whatever you believe to be God, that all of it has its fullness in Jesus Christ. Verse 8, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. Do you accept the words of Jesus as the word of God? Verse 8. For I gave them the words you gave me. Right, Corinne? And they accepted them. Jesus' 12 disciples, Judas is gone. The 11 disciples accepted Jesus' words as the word of God. And that's the meaning to all of us, right, Chris? All of us, we need to accept We need to accept the words of Jesus as they are the word of God. And they are the word of God because Jesus is God. So when we're reading the words of Jesus, we're reading the words of God, God the Son, right? They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Verse 8. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Do you know with certainty? That Jesus has come from heaven. That the only true God, God the Father, sent Jesus, God the Son. And do you believe that God the Father sent Jesus to die for your sin? That your sin was so bad, so horrific, so terrible, that God himself had to become a human man for you, live a perfect life for you, die a torturous death for you, And be raised from the dead, so that you and I, by receiving Jesus and believing in him, might have eternal life and have our sins forgiven and avoid eternal hell. Do you believe that? Verse 9 I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Verse 10 All I have is yours. And all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. So when Jesus says, I pray for them, verse 9, I'm not praying for the world. Jesus loves the world. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But here Jesus is praying for the disciples that he knows he's going to be leaving behind in his death. And he's praying for them. Is there anything better than Jesus praying for you? When Jesus says, I pray for them, I'm not praying for the world. If you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, you are missing a blessing from Jesus that's incomprehensible. Don't you want Jesus praying for you, Ed? Because when it says, I pray for them, I am not praying for the world. You want to be one of Jesus' disciples so that Jesus is praying for you. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. We belong to God the Father in and through Jesus Christ our Lord, sealed in the Holy Spirit. Again, it's incredible. We see the work of the triune God in every aspect of redemption and in sanctification, meaning after we've been saved, growing to be more like Jesus all the days of our life, right? Verse 10, all I have is yours and all you have is mine he he just said that with a straight face <clears throat> who if the person speaking isn't god listen to what jesus said try to imagine a normal human being saying this all i have is yours okay i could i could see myself jesus saying to jesus jesus all i have is yours that's fact but how about this and all you have is mine that's a little different now right I can't say I can say to Jesus all I have is yours because it's true everything I have belongs to Jesus without Jesus I'm nothing I'm worthless so it, there's no question that all I have is yours Jesus but when Jesus says "And all you have is mine and again he's talking to God the father what person in their right mind could ever say to God the Father, in all you have, all you have, everything you have, Father, is mine. It's, we have to, to know who we're dealing with here, right, Lens? Who are we dealing with? No one spoke like this. Okay, no one. Noah didn't speak like this. Abel didn't speak like this. Moses didn't speak like this. Joseph didn't speak like this. Abraham didn't speak like this. Isaac didn't speak like this. Jacob didn't speak like this. No one spoke like this. Not Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. None of the prophets spoke like this. Buddha didn't speak like this. Muhammad didn't speak like this. Confucius didn't speak like this. Socrates didn't speak like this. Plato didn't speak like this. Um, Aristotle didn't speak like this. No one talked like this guy. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And Jesus says it, he says it like he's just talking. He's praying to God the Father. Father, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine. Try to to understand the weight of that statement so you know that when you're you're listening to Jesus, you're dealing with full-blown God, God the Son. And glory has come to me through them. Do you have a heart? Jesus said glory has come to him through his disciples. Is glory coming to Jesus through you? Or as I said before, are you looking to bring glory to yourself? As I've already said, and we've repented, and we need to do it over and over. If you're a minister in the body of Christ today, if you're a leader in the body of Christ, we're all at a different place, but you do need to repent for desiring glory for yourself. I certainly do. our our desire and our hearts and our focus need to be to bring glory to Jesus. But in our and just in our again in our in our sinful manner, we like it. When glory is brought to us as the minister or teacher or pastor or elder or deacon or prophet or whatever title you have, Jesus is not impressed. But our heart needs to be that glory comes to Jesus through us, not, Ed, that glory comes to us through Jesus. Forgive us, Father. Forgive me. Verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer. He knows he's going to be crucified. He knows he's going to be tortured. But they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. He knows he's going to be crucified, raised from the dead, and he's praying for them. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. The desire of Jesus is for us as the body of Christ, for us as all true Christians, to be one, to be in unity, to be on the same page. To say we have failed in this doesn't even do justice. There are something like 1,100 denominations in Christianity today. 1,100! We we don't get along so bad. How can you have 1,100 denominations? How many can you name? I can name like 10, right? Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Anglican, Catholic. See, I'm already getting stuck. They got Mormons. They got Jehovah's Witnesses. You got seven-day Adventists. What am I missing? See what I'm saying? I have a hard time naming 10 there are, Lutheran. There are 1,100 Denominations. And Jesus prays so that they may be one as we are one. Listen, we have to agree on the essentials. We cannot in any way, we we have to stand for the essentials of Christianity. All humanity is sinful. That's a biblical essential. It says it clearly. We all need a savior. It says it clearly. We're going straight to hell without Jesus. The Bible says it clearly. We all need to agree on it. We cannot give one inch on that. Jesus Christ is the only way to have our sins forgiven. To have relationship with the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And to ultimately go to heaven when we die. We cannot give one inch on that. But the non-essentials, we're going to have to agree to disagree so we can get along. We don't get along. Again, the church is like a, it's so territorial. It's like a contest. We all want people for our ministries and our churches. And and, and I'm not much better. So Father, I'm sorry. Uh, We need so much work in this. I certainly know I do. But we we need to be encouraging one another in the body of Christ as we stand on the essentials. Verse 12. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. And so he said that of the 12 disciples, Jesus protected them, but Judas was never a genuine Christian. Judas's heart was never for Jesus, right? You remember we we studied in John 12 where where Judas kept control of the money, but he just wanted the, the money for himself, right? So Jesus ne- Judas never had a heart for Jesus, and the scripture fore- foretold that Judas would betray Jesus. And Jesus says that, you know, none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. And the scripture was fulfilled. As Judas denied Jesus He betrayed Jesus um, and it was just, it's just horrible, but the Bible said it would happen. The prophets prophesied that it would happen and it came to pass. Verse 13, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. And we're gonna end here. Look what Jesus says. I am coming to you now. He hasn't even died yet. He knows he's going to be tortured, but he can see past that. He can see his resurrection and knows he's going back to God the Father. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world. He's praying. He's still in the world. He hasn't even been he hasn't been hurt, he hasn't been arrested, he hasn't been tortured, he hasn't been crucified, he hasn't been raised from the dead. He's still in the world. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. And how I long. I long for the measure of Jesus's joy. I long for some measure of Jesus's joy. Ed, do you have the full measure of the joy of Jesus within you? Yeah. So... I mean, what would what would that even be like? No, you don't have it. If you're sitting there and thinking you have it, you don't have it. I have some measure of the joy of Jesus within me. And by his grace, it gives me the, the ability and the grace and the blessing to do to do these teachings and to to be a, a minister for Christ. But he says that he's praying. So that they, and he's talking about his disciples and by extension, all of us as disciples. So that we may have the full measure of the joy of Jesus Christ within us. And Father, I'm sorry. I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me. Because I I have a full measure of something. But it's not the full measure of the joy of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I want it. I believe I want it. I ask you to help us one and all, Father. I ask you to cleanse us of unrighteousness. I ask you to forgive us. Holy Spirit, I ask you to give us eyes that see Jesus and ears that hear him, that we might begin to experience the joy of Jesus Christ our Lord. And at some level in this life, we continue to grow, that we might one day experience the full measure of the joy within us. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Lord Jesus, we want the full measure of your joy. We ask you to help us and forgive us, cleanse us of unrighteousness, for we have impeded that measure. Have mercy on us, Lord Jesus. Father, we love you and bless you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal this message to our hearts now.